boom shakalaka there it is we're gonna have a lot of fun today we got three guests we got three people that we're gonna talk to and it's gonna be a madhouse it's gonna be so much fun i hope you all are ready for this practicing polyamory real life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory the mission of the practicing polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community enjoy the show We're here. We're back. We are in for another fun episode. But before we jump into the show, I want to quickly ask everybody listening, watching to please head over to YouTube and do a search for Practicing Polyamory Podcast and hit that subscribe button. I'm just 48, I think. I think that's where I was. Uh, 48 people. So I need 52 more to get to 100 by the end of the month. Uh, it's coming right around the corner. I got four days. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can we do it? Please help me out. I would love to hit those uh, 100 subscribers. Uh, and if uh, any of you all can help me out to get there, that'd be wonderful as well. Um, I'm just going to jump right in and say that I'm super excited because, as I mentioned, we have not one, not two. As you can see, we have three awesome guests for the show. Our trio have been practicing polyamory for three, seven, and seven years, and they've got plenty of stories to share. I'm excited to learn about their dynamic today, and I can tell you that they can share that they do share some common interests like tabletop RPGs, love of lightsabers, and Star Wars, and creating all kinds of art from paint pouring to writing, and of course, delving into a myriad of universes: Star Wars universe, Steven Universe. I love Steven Universe, by the way. <laughs> Through their experiences, some of the things they've learned are that toxic traits and habits and relationships are not exclusive to either monogamy or polyamory. The importance of managing emotions and nonviolent communication and taking sole responsibility for one's own emotions being the cornerstone for success in polyam. We may run a little bit long today as we get to know all three of our guests, so let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, Cheslin, Brian, and Jay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited to have all three of you on the show. This is great. Um, I'm going to start with Cheslin's because uh, Cheslin's the one who actually filled out the uh, original form here. So uh, we're going to start with you. Tell me uh, about how all of this got started. I'm assuming that the three of you are a triad, thruple, something. Please tell me <laughs> how you define yourself and, and how y'all uh, met, got started. So all of this really got started with those two. They've been together for a long time. Jay's the one that actually had me fill everything out. I was just very gung-ho and filled it out first. That's really it. Um, well, lucky I, you. <laughs> uh, they, they've been practicing for a lot longer than I have. Uh, I personally think I've been polyamorous since the days of high school and will they, won't they, and you have to choose someone right away. And why would I choose? Why <laughs> you know, <laughs> why would I choose? <laughs> and uh, I actually met them working at HEB and they're the first people that taught me the word polyamorous. Um, I'm dating Brian, Jay is my meta and it's really set the standard for all of my relationships in comparison. Got it, okay, so you're not a triad or a throuple, you're actually a V. We are. Okay. Uh, not technically, because cool. I have another partner. Oh, yeah. Oh. N? <laughs> Z? Something like that. 
it, is- it, it, gets, <laughs> it gets crazy. There's like there's there's W's and there's Y's and there's all kinds of different things. So you know, fun Bef- stuff. Before COVID, this would have been a lot more complicated because I had too many partners. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> COVID COVID has brought those numbers down a bit. Uh, you know, not being able to interact with everyone how I want and such. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no. I, I want to get back to that idea of polysaturated. Uh, but oh. I, let me talk to uh, let's let's go with uh, Jay. Let's go with Jay next and tell me a little bit about your background, uh, how you and Brian met, and uh, where I mean, you guys met Chess Chesslin at work. Talk to her about polyamory and um, talk to them about polyamory. I'm sorry, uh, and you know we want to make. I, I I am so bad at that sometimes, but I am doing my best to catch it every single time. So if I don't for any reason, please call me out on it. Um, Will do. And yeah, tell me tell me the history from your perspective, Jay. Um. So I've kind of known uh, as a Cheslin that I've not been monogamous uh, at least since like high school. I didn't really have the words for that at that time. Um. But it was actually um mine and Brian's friend, uh, uh, Anna, who introduced us to the word polyamory. We actually were non-monogamous before that. Um, Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't even know that word until about six years ago, even though we've been, uh, non-monogamous for seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been together for 10. Uh, I actually met Brian in first grade. Uh, we grew up together, so we've known each other for a really long time. Um, there is definitely a very rich, uh, deep relationship uh, to have with someone that you've known for so long. Perfect. So, Brian, from your perspective now, were you always polyamorous or, or non-monogamous? Is this something that you just knew from the beginning? And, uh, you know, when, when things started with Jay, you've known each other since the first grade. Was it uh, like a friendship that was very deep already and then evolved into a relationship or was it like a long time of separation and then all of a sudden one day you're like hey you're kind of hot i i think i want to be with you so um to the first part i definitely did not know that i was non-monogamous well i i was raised catholic and so and i'm also kind of a very, I was a very rule driven person. And so I kind of had it hammered into me, you know, that I was, um, I was supposed to be monogamous and that was the only mm-hmm. option. Uh, so it wasn't even something that crossed my mind until, uh, Jay brought it up. And I mean, it, it kind of took me by surprise, but it was something that made so much sense. Like it was, it just made sense. Um, and, from where we came from, you know, uh, our relationship, we were friends in first grade, like we were uh, acquaintances and we we hung out a lot. We were in an after school program together. Um, and then there were some years in between, you know, where we kind of drifted apart. We uh, weren't we didn't hang out outside of school or anything like that. So it was really just uh, uh, an acquaintance uh, from school, uh, from middle school. And then back in high school is really when we started to kind of get back together we we fell into the same friend circle um and you know we uh i, I had a crush on, on jay for a little while there um in starting in probably was it junior year or sophomore year when we were started hanging out more um 
and it developed from there. Like it just, we, we already knew each other really well, you know, we, um, and we kind of, we both had a crush on each other, but we didn't know it. And, uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, luckily Jay took the initiative. Um, nice. So things so- went from there. Um, and we, you know, being in a relationship, um, or like going from being friends to in a relationship was just a very natural transition, uh, which is, you know, important for me. Uh, I, you know, sometimes struggle to form attachments. So mm-hmm. as you know, it was really a wonderful thing, uh, being able to know them for so long and, you know, kind of just naturally transition and, and evolve our relationship. Nice. One of the things that you mentioned, Brian, was that you were non-monogamous and then you started exploring polyamory. So to you, what's the difference and what was the thing that changed your style of approaching relationships when you discovered that word? Well, um, I think uh, for me, the the non-monogamy was kind of, we came at it from... Uh, I don't, I don't think that I should, you know, we should be locked in this relationship and restrict ourselves. Uh, polyamory really just gave another term to it and, and kind of focus us on a community. Um, because I was kind of overwhelmed by just the idea and still, you know, kind of like there's so much to explore and so much to learn, uh, and polyamory, like using that term, uh, like Jay, Jay said, our, our friend, Anna, uh, introduced us to the term and that was kind of our first step into a community setting um, mm. because it wasn't something that I had really explored. It was something that, you know, this is a thing that happens, you know, not uh, non-monogamy. Why, why should we, you know, be in an, in a completely exclusive relationship when it just doesn't really make sense for either of us. Um, you know, we have a very rich relationship, but there's so many possibilities and, you know, restricting yourself, you know, for me, it was based on tradition. Um, and it was traditions that I didn't really ascribe to anymore. Um, and so polyamory was just about finding that community and it was, it was just the first step in learning, uh, and, you know, taking the new terms and, uh, figuring out where we would fit into that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, my own background, I, uh, when my wife and I started, it was in the swinging community and that was, you know, lacking the emotional connection, I guess. And so uh, after a little while of exploring that, it just wasn't working. Polyamory made more sense and both um, fall under the large umbrella of non-monogamy. So that's why I was kind of asking if there was something about um, discovering polyamory that made non-monogamy as a whole different. Jay, would you like to speak to that? I think what really changed for us is we we had a term where we could learn more um, mm-hmm. because prior to that, we just sort of went by what was working for us. And we definitely had a lot of uh, couples privilege in the very beginning mm-hmm. um, because we were very um, intent on protecting that relationship. Right. Which is right. what a lot of uh, people in the new to polyamory do. Um or to non-monogamy in general, um, having that term enabled us to to go online and Google what is that <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and learn more about the, the communities um, 
other uh, non-monogamous people and other types of non-monogamy. Um, I, I know this uh, polyamory podcast, but um, I know personally okay. for me, I'm a relationship anarchist. Uh, polyamory is just sort of a byproduct of that. Um, um, yeah, it was just the ability to learn and grow um, and to learn how to be better in our relationship with each other and with our other partners and metas. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Cheslin, I'm going to get you back on here. Um, one of the things that you mentioned is that it's only been three years since you learned the term. Um, and so you maybe haven't been practicing as long as Brian and Jay, nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm only like four years in, so it's not like, you know, we've been doing this for, for our entire lives or anything, but um, having just discovered it three years ago and prior to that point, carrying those feelings, but not knowing that it was something that you could do, you became polysaturated. I charged into the polyamorous world with reckless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Tell me more. Tell me more. Oh my gosh. I am the story. I, I, I got unicorn hunted. I did some hunting myself as a unicorn to try to take hold of the situation. <laughs> it was all a mess, but I've learned so much. I've learned so much from all of it. And uh, it's definitely one of those things where I'm like, you know, when I was first dating in general, things were rough. You know, this is just another style of dating. It requires a whole new mindset. So, of course, it's going to be a little rough as I learn my preferred methods and communication and all of that. What does has it made it tougher for dating, though? Really? I mean, when you get to the point of polysaturation, you're you're there. You've got all these different partners <laughs> and all this stuff going on prior to COVID, of course. So what are some of the difficulties that, that you're seeing in, in dating pre, post-COVID, all of it, all of the above? Personally, one of the difficulties I face is with being demi-romantic and demisexual, kind of like Brian. I struggle to form relationships. I struggle to form attachments. Um, I, I come off as a very... Uh, exploratory and interesting person but really I just kind of want to sit and watch my shows and chill out and uh, <laughs> uh, you know like people expect a lot different things out of me especially like after learning that I'm interested in couples and that kind of thing they expect mm -hmm. one thing and then the person that I am is completely different from those expectations and it's been a little bit difficult keeping people on the the page of what they want from me and what role they want me to fulfill versus who I am as a human being. That makes sense. That makes sense. And Brian, uh, you have been dating Cheslin for a while when she approached you and forgive me, this is like a little deeper, whatever, but that's the point of this thing. Uh, were, were you, uh, exp were you expecting? Oh, thank you. Thank you. They, uh, when they approached you, uh, were you expecting them to be going after both you and Jay or did you, was it just straight up? Like this is a one-on-one -on -one, we're dating separately. How did that go? So, um, Cheslin was a good friend of both of us. And that thought, you know, crossed my mind. You know, like, I wasn't sure if Cheslin was going to be wanting to date me and Jay. Um, but, uh, it really started off as just, uh, it was just me and Cheslin. Like that was, that was kind of the expect, the initial expectation. Like I said, the thought crossed my mind, but it wasn't really something that, that came up. Um, uh, cause 
you know, Cheslin and I worked really closely together uh, where, uh, where we, um, when we worked together uh, and, you know, we, we hung out as friends, you know, we met back in 2015 um, and, you know, we started dating in 2018. So it was, it was another one of those things, you know, where mm-hmm. it transitioned from a friendship sort of naturally into a, uh, and evol- it evolved into a, a relationship. Um, yeah. So while, so while I have you on here um, and, you know, I kind of want to get a little bit more into this, Cheslin started dating other people as well. Uh, you know, as they were saying, they got polysaturated. What did that do to you? How did you feel, you know, while they were out there dating all these different people, having all of these different relationships? How did that affect you? So I am someone who definitely suffers from compersion. You know, nice. I'm not really a jealous person at all. I'm not competitive. And I'm also really kind of a a, a low energy person. Uh, I don't go out and do stuff, you know, like Justin, I like to just sit around and watch my shows with people. You know, I like to find common interests and just, you know, spending time together and that sort of thing. Um, and when Cheslin had multiple other partners, uh, we would block out time and, you know, we would message each other all the time. I don't feel like I lost anything from it. You know, I was super excited to see them with their other partners uh, whenever it was a situation that was, you know, that was good for them whenever it was something that made them happy when it was something that, you know, uh, that was good for them. So I, do you all, do you all live and die by the Google calendar? Kind of not really, not, not Not really more. Um, Okay. When, when, I mean, when, when was, was they're very organized with their, their time and scheduling the people. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was kind of a thing for a while. It it isn't now that, you know, post COVID we're kind of, you know, we're, we're a little bit more limited. Um, And I, you know, I'm not the kind of person that will actively seek relationships. Like I said, it sort of Mm -hmm. evolves from the friendship. So (laughs) I'm not, you know, making, uh, events and going out and, you know, blocking out time to, to do all the dating. But, uh, Cheslin was very good about that. Very organized. So I think I'm mostly the same way, uh, as far as, you know, meeting people in the wild and kind of letting it form naturally. Now, Jay, you also have another partner. Can you tell me a little bit about your other partner, how you met, how long you've been, uh, seeing that other person and how it has affected the way that you approach your relationship with Brian? Um, yeah, so um, I'm going to be calling my other partner uh, Red. Um, that's what he has to be called. Um, he didn't want to be on the show. Um, I don't think he's quite ready to be out with his family. Um, okay. We met on OkCupid. Um, he knew from the get-go that um, I was non-monogamous, um, and we took things kind of slow at first. Um, he didn't meet Brian for the first couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all on mm-hmm. his terms. And well, of course, Brian was okay with meeting him from the get go. He's like, I'll meet him, whatever. Um, and then of course, uh, red, I, I was like, whenever you're ready uh, to meet him, you can meet him. Um, and not before, you know, I want you to make sure that you're comfortable. Um, and they actually, uh, they're, they're pretty good friends. They send each other memes and stuff. And anytime nice. they're together with me, they roast me. <laughs> That's their favorite pastime. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the way that it's really um, impacted my relationship. Oh, 
Sorry, I forgot to say how long we've been together. Has it been two and a half? Yeah, that sounds about right. I think I think so. Ask Brian. I've been dating Justin since 2018, and you were dating Red for a little bit before Justin and I started dating. So in Chess, this is two and a half years. Yeah, so Chesson and I started dating in October of 2018. I love it. Uh, We're measuring our relationships by how long we've been with our other partners. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, you got to find a, something that works. Anything yeah. but the metric system. You can tell Brian is the one that keeps track of all the important dates. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> good stuff. Um, good stuff. Uh, the so that last way that bit it's was, impacted yeah. my relationship with Brian is, I feel like it's really helped me really love the things that I have with Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's improved our relationship. Um, nice. I think the biggest thing, especially for me with non-monogamy, is that I don't have to get everything from one person. Um, I'm, I'm a moderate energy person, I guess. <laughs> and <laughs> Brian often doesn't want to go do stuff and my uh, other partner Red, he loves to be adventurous uh, so it could just be spontaneous call him up and like, hey, let's go to New Mexico and he's like, that's great and Brian's like, cool, I'll stay home and watch the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. When when you have one partner that's adventurous and the other ones that just prefers to stay home, it it, it works. It works. And I think, I think that's actually what I've found, uh, you know, with, with the partners that I have, uh, the partner that, that I met, uh, a little over a year ago, we both happen to be, uh, runners. And so our early dating life was all running and hiking together. Like that's all we did, uh, for, for quite a while. And it just, it fit. And that's, you know, for me, that's like the way that it, that I can, find time for another relationship or find the energy for another relationship is when it fits, when it works. Um, did any of you experience jealousy even early on? I'm going to, I'm going to wait for like a raised hand or something. I mean, I, I kind of, I was concerned about it, but it was more of the anxiety of being jealous than actually being jealous for me uh because it wasn't really something that i ever experienced you know it was for me i mean being the low energy person this idea of non-monogamy was relieving to me it was like wow i don't feel like you know being demisexual demiromantic i don't feel like i'm really cut out for relationships sometimes you know it's one of those things that i put energy and put effort towards and you know i enjoy and i get things out of it but it's something that i have limited energy uh and you know having this one partner coming to me for everything is you know it's it just makes me feel like uh you know i have to do everything and go above and beyond and you know i i'm a giver i like doing that kind of thing but it does drain you and so having multiple partners was it was relieving it was wonderful you know is to see that I can have someone that I care so deeply about go and form this relationship with somebody else and get things out of it, you know, that maybe I'm not able to give, or maybe that I'm, I'm not as suited for, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can try and give it, but it won't be as fulfilling an experience coming from me as it would from somebody else, you know, with a completely different and unique relationship. So that's, that's kind of where I uh, come at, at that. Um, 
more anxiety about being jealous than actually being jealous. Uh, Cheslin J, any experience with jealousy? Did it take hold at any point, Jay? Uh, definitely for me. Um, it wasn't really um, anything that Cheslin was doing or any other people that Brian has dated. Uh, for me, it's always just about insecurity. Um, I think that's the biggest thing to know about whenever you're feeling jealousy is what needs of yours aren't being met or what is it that you're feeling insecure about? Um, I know for me personally, um, it was more about the fear of abandonment. So mm -hmm. it was really about sharing those feelings with Brian and talking through them. Um, and not everybody's partner is going to be able to help you cope with those emotions. Um, but Brian is really good about that. Um, he enjoys doing that and uh, helping other people, um, especially his partners, um, cope with their emotions um so i'm very lucky that i can i can vent to him and be like okay this is what i'm feeling help me process it um nice and i i do that work on my, i do the work on the side on my own also um i do a lot as of as a uh, relationship coach like, or something how do i kind of attack this this feeling and how can i take care of myself like mm -hmm. So for me, it was seeking therapy for about the, the fear of abandonment um, and the other stuff. It's like, what needs of mine aren't being met? And is this a need that I have to have from Brian or is this a need I can fulfill for myself or with another partner um, or even a friend or a family member, um, which is really what relationship anarchy is about. Was this, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't have to get all of those things from just a romantic partner. Yeah. And I mean, one of the big things that you said was finding it either in yourself or with a support network. Uh, there was about a, a year long period of time that uh, my wife and I were separated um, and it was really tough for for me getting used to being on my own again. Uh, I think we had been married for only like three years. But I mean, when we got together, it was just like this crazy fire, like you know, falling in love in 10 days and just craziness, craziness, craziness. It was wonderful and, and, and amazing. And, um, but <laughs> that year period, it was really like finding myself and finding my own support network. Uh, and during that time, Jay, I made a, a similar discovery as what you wrote, uh, which is that being responsible for my emotions, I am responsible for my happiness. She's responsible for her happiness. We're not responsible for each other's happiness. Uh, and, you know, finding finding support within our family, within our friends, uh, and within ourselves became really important. Exactly, exactly. Um, all three of you use the word demisexual, demiromantic, and just for anybody who might be chime listening in and maybe doesn't understand it, uh, I'm going to call Cheslin up here because I feel like uh, they haven't talked as much. And I, I, I love the way your eyes just brighten. Oh, my God. All right. So, Cheslin, what does demisexual, demiromantic mean to you? So, for me, it's... Okay, so talking demi-romantic, demisexual, both of them in a way mean that you need something for either of those attachments to form. Uh, for me personally, I need to be someone's friend before I can even begin to have romantic feelings for them. And long after that begins to happen, I start to be able to kind of have sexual feelings for them. Mm. Um, 
you know, demisexuality is you need some kind of a bond or something like that before you have the sexual feelings develop. Demiromantic is something along the same line, but with romance, you know, viewing romance and sexuality as separate parts has really helped me understand my own identity and how I form relationships to begin with. Romance and sexuality are separate things. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. You got to have that connection. You got to have the relationship. You got to have, I don't know, roses and chocolates. Well, you know, for me, I can have, I have very intense personal friendships with people that, you know, I even allow them to sleep in the same bed as me. But mm -hmm. for whatever reason, my brain hasn't gone as far as to develop any kind of romantic feelings for them. You know, uh, I can have this intense friendship and also still some sexual feelings with people. It really just, it takes a lot of little things clicking into place in my brain for those relationships and attachments to begin to form. Got it. Got it. So it's not like I just see Thor across the way and I want to jump his bones. No, I was actually just talking to Brian about it. And so I've been watching the podcast uh, Critical Role <laughs> and, uh, you know, like looking at the cast, all of them are very attractive people, but I didn't have any kind of like, ooh, I'm attracted to ooh, blank, blank, blank until after watching them play together and interact and have conversations and really get an idea of how they're, you know, they're formed on the inside is when I started to be like, oh, they have a nice smile. Oh, they have such a nice face. Ooh, damn shoulders though. You know, like <laughs> eventually started going that way. <laughs> like it just, it, just it takes, takes a, a lot. <laughs> nice, a nice. Lot. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, other things that I have been talking about lately, um, yeah, man, we're, we're coming up on time. And I don't know if we have time to dive into it. You know what? I'm going to take take this and make this be uh, the last thing that we talk about. Um, and it's because one of you mentioned it in your bio, um, talking about privilege in our polyamorous community. What are some things... And I'll, I'll just give each uh, of the three of you uh, an opportunity to speak, or I think it was Jay that actually mentioned it. Um, what are some things that we can do in our community to acknowledge our own privilege and help to lift others up? Um, is it okay if I go first since it was yes. uh, in my bio? Um, the first and foremost thing to do is to go learn. Um, talk to people of different backgrounds. Um, and when I, when we're talking about privilege in polyamory, we're talking about intersectional, you know, identities. We're talking about all kinds of marginalization. You know, there's a lot of different privilege. Um, you know, Brian and I are both white uh, and there is privilege with that. We live in a home together. There's privilege in that. Um, you know, Brian comes from a wealthy family. There's privilege in that. Um, and then you you have to do as much research as you can, learn, mm -hmm. and don't just learn from the internet, but learn from other people by talking to um, non-monogamous people of different backgrounds. So people that are non-white, um, you know, people of color. Um, people that are um, LGBTQI+, uh, mm -hmm. which we all are, um, but include those people. Um, people that are disabled, um, mm -hmm. people that are neurodivergent. Um, all of those identities play a role in the privilege uh, of polyamory and pretty much anywhere in the world mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in your life. Um, but 
for non-monogamy especially um it's another a space where it's currently sort of dominated by uh you know cishet identities um it's just had white identities um, right. and they're the, the face of the movement that is typical right as is typical so um i i've been listening right now to um so you want to talk about race ijoma i can't i can't remember her last name uh but her first name is ijoma and that's that's kind of what started this line of thinking and uh she talks a lot about um about the different ways that we can attack privilege. Uh, some of the things that you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, being, um, not being disabled, being able-bodied. That's what I was looking for. Uh, being able-bodied, being, uh, you know, uh, not being neurodivergent, all of these different things are, are privileges that I feel like we don't even realize. A lot of people don't realize that they even have, um, and that the world is more made for, people that don't that that don't have to suffer that don't suffer from these things um cheslin or brian i'll give one of you an opportunity and if either one of you wants to speak to this uh so speaking a bit to the neurodivergent side of things you know understanding that people who have any kind of neurodivergence often have masks in the way they present themselves in crowds versus online versus one-on-one and stuff like that and giving people the space to really be themselves you know like a lot of people in this community kind of focus on like going to cocktails and big events and loud events where we can all be out and loud and poly and i feel it's very exclusionary to people who not even just neurodivergence you know but physical disabilities mental disabilities all of the different things that you know this community of oh it's fun it's going out and partying you know doesn't really promote and allow in the spaces that you know are so promoted Mm-hmm. So what what are some things that you think we could do to help alleviate that? What are some ways that we can reach out to people that maybe wouldn't be comfortable in those spaces? I think it's a lot of just showing the same excitement for other people's events and other people's meetups or, you know, like small events and stuff like that, that we show for our own big events, even if it's not your style, not something that you personally are like super interested in, just showing the same enthusiasm to get other people to go and stuff like that. Because when people are like, oh, that sounds boring. Oh, that doesn't sound like this, that, the other. They're just, they're discounting all of these people that could be like, yes, this is my opportunity to go out and meet people but then nobody wants to go because it's a library or, you know, like something that, you know, oh, getting out and getting, going out and getting drinks, you know, like even like the alcoholics and like the recovering alcoholics in our community that this, you Mm. know, distance is from. It's just, I feel that too often as a community, we go towards these big flashy events, you know, they're like, yes, we're loud and we're proud and we're polyamorous and, you know, we're the cool kids in the bar that are all drinking together. And, you know, you see people smooching each other and, ooh, what's going on over there? You know, but like, that's not the event that makes it accessible or even appealing to everyone. I love and there's that. a lot of privilege in it. <laughs> going out and assuming people can buy drinks, you know, library books are free. Yeah, no. See, there you go. Another, another bit of privilege that uh, we don't even often realize that we have. Brian, any last words? Um. As far as privilege goes, I just in that, you know, is real and realizing even just realizing my privilege is listening, um, you know, searching out for those different experiences, uh, reading and learning uh, and really just kind of trying to take that active role upon yourself to to educate yourself. 
because, you know, even with non-monogamy, that was just, that, that was how I did it was, you know, it was, I sort of had to break down these walls, uh, in the safe little privileged life that I had lived, uh, and listen to what other people had to say, you know, the experiences of marginalized folks, it's, that's, that's where you need to start. And that's, you know, where, where it goes. So. Any resources, any books, uh, podcasts, you mentioned one Cheslin, I think it was, um, books or podcasts that you all are listening to that might be helpful to anybody, uh, in this space. I'm always going to tell people they need to watch Steven Universe. Always. Yes. yes. <laughs> always. So true. So About true. About inclusion and like, oh, making things accessible to people. And, and oh, I just love it so much. I won't, I won't plug it when I can't. I, I literally just, uh, I was watching it yesterday, the day before, and just realized, it was two days ago, that all of the gems are femme. Mm -hmm. Did not, like... Oh crap! Like all kinds of things like fell into place, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, yeah." Anyway, very great show. And Savani being a non-binary character was really great, you know. And then having the the gay union of Stu. Oh, did get Dozy started? Dozy started. Yeah. No. Whoa, 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 whoa. Spoilers! Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> I love it too much, but it just it teaches people so much about love in my opinion, you know, and I feel like yes. all of the concepts there are so applicable. Anytime I'm sad about anything in polyamory, I'm like, there's a Steven Universe episode for that. Let me go find it. <laughs> uh, the, the, there's one where um, the Crystal Gems went to meet uh, Connie's parents. And then the whole lesson behind that is families come in all shapes and sizes. And yeah, so much greatness. So much greatness. Jay, anything to add? Um, I would say I, um, I don't have any specifics. Uh, right now, but mostly where I learn about other people's um, experiences is through social media. So you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, search out groups that um, are from BIPOC educators, um, mm -hmm. people or dis disabled educators, or frankly, both, you know, mm -hmm. uh, someone that is both. Um, they are out there and they are offering this education about privilege, about their experience for free. Um, they're sharing their life um, and all you have to do is go out and search for them. You know, if you're scrolling through your, your feed and all you see are people that look like you, that have experiences like you, um, you need to device, diversify your um, the people that are in your life. Maybe you don't go out, uh, as Justin said, you, you know, you don't like to go out to big events, but most people are on social media. Um, diversify the content that you consume. I love that. And I just wrote down a note for myself to find disabled BIPOC educators because there's definitely not enough uh, of that in my feed. Brian, oh, I can send some to you. <laughs> please, please do. Brian, your turn. What do you got for resources? Uh Honestly, uh, the same thing that Jay does, you know, is most of my exposure comes through social media. And actually, a lot of it comes through Jay. Like, Jay finds all these wonderful resources. They're so dedicated and all, you know, all that they do, it seems like, is educate themselves. Like, they're, they, whenever they find something, they dive in. And so they're constantly sharing these resources with me. And social media is kind of my primary access to the world. So, uh, nice. that that is 
has definitely been also my primary way of uh, of getting these um, experiences and listening to them and learning um, is definitely been through social media. You know, they send me TikToks and uh, uh, I, you know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and and that kind of thing. So that's that's really that's that's what the household is here. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So much left to learn. Um, and yeah, uh, if all three of you or Jay, especially since you have so much of those resources, uh, send it to me. If you guys, uh, if you three, sorry, if you three want to send me friend requests uh, or anything like that, happy to learn from all of you. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you uh, to all three of you for being on the show, uh, for hanging out with me and and sharing the knowledge, sharing the wisdom, uh, getting the opportunity to see uh, a little bit of your dynamic, the three of you with uh, in a V or N or whatever the configuration actually is. Um, it's been so much fun. And I just want to say thank you to all three of you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. It's been awesome. It's great to see more people trying to bring this into the mainstream and providing a platform for people to get more education and more resources. And, you know, we may not all be the best at finding things ourselves. So providing that is fantastic. That's what I'm trying to do. Bring more of it to the community, to the community, to the world, to, you know, make it more normalized. Like here we are, we're just everyday people. We've got our own stuff. We believe the same things as, as a lot of you. We just do relationships a little bit differently. So very cool. Thank you all again for uh, being on the show. Thank you to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're here live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for the podcast download. So if you want to avoid commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific, or sign up for our Patreon where you not only get access to our commercial-free RSS feed, but also Patreon-only content like reaction videos, Q&A with our upcoming professional guests. So thank you as always. Thanks again for for hanging out with me, with us, with our guests. It's been a great time. Uh, we will catch you all today's Wednesday. So next week, well then. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash